One thing that I keep becoming fascinated about, the more and more I read the Word and understand um, the truths that's contained in the Word, is that how we can uh, neglect it so much as a body of Christ. It's like, how many of y'all seen all of those cheesy Nicolas Cage movies, Na- National Treasure or whatever, where he's searching for all these treasures? By the way, every Nicolas Cage movie, he's either had like 100 cups of coffee prior to every scene because he's always just like jittery or uh, he's the worst actor ever. I haven't figured it out yet. But he's in this movie called National Treasure and they give him, it's like they give him this treasure map and man, his commitment to following what's on that map so he can arrive at the treasure he's seeking is incredible. And what's fascinating is uh, this literally is our treasure map. And, and much like it would be in the movie, if he just set it on the nightstand and never looked at it, it would be pointless. It's the same thing with the Word of God. It's not a bookend or something that we just put on our dresser because it's aesthetically pleasing. It is literally the map that leads us into everything that is priceless that the world cannot offer. And one of those things is the wisdom of God. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And really, the wisdom of God is like hide-and-seek. My kids have me playing this hide-and-seek game over and over, but he hides his wisdom in the Word, and it's up to us to seek it out. It really is that simple. And so uh, he promises if we seek him, we'll find him. And so that's a beautiful assurance that we have when we set our hearts and our minds to read the Word of the Lord. So I'm going to read from Proverbs 3. I'm going to read like 16 verses, and... uh, You'll be okay. Um, Reading more than one verse, I know, is a little overwhelming for us sometimes. But 16 verses, uh, and then we're going to talk about a few. It's really, really important, though, because I made the mistake growing up that Proverbs was this this book of clever sayings, right? It was like this, you know, universal. Is that me? I didn't spray enough static over here in the corner. It's like this book of universal truths. And so I neglected reading Proverbs a lot because, um, you know, I just thought if I needed a a clever one-liner in a pinch, I would go to Proverbs. But make no mistake, the Bible is the holy word of God inspired, including the book of Proverbs. It's not, you know, sayings in a fortune cookie. It is the authentic word of the Lord, and we would do well to apply these truths to our lives. So I'm reading Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 through 16. My son, do not forget my teaching, But let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and tranquility and prosperity they will add to you. Do not let mercy and kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in and rely confidently on the Lord with all of your heart and do not rely on your own insight or understanding in all your ways Acknowledge him, recognize him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be health to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be abundantly filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject or take lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor despise his rebuke. For those whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Happy, blessed, fortunate is the man who finds godly wisdom and the man who gains understanding and insight. 
For wisdom's profit is far better than silver, and her grain is far better than gold. She is more precious than rubies, and nothing you can wish for compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left are riches and honor. I, I love verse 3. I mean, I, I love all those verses, right? But I love verse 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. And the hesed in Hebrew is the great word for mercy and truth. And Solomon's saying, hold these so close to you. Wrap yourself around them. In fact, you should wear, you should wear these truths as if they were a necklace on you at all times. And he further goes on to say, bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. We really are in a season where we've got to guard our hearts. Above all else, I mean, the Bible says that. But we really need to be aware of guarding our hearts. The heart is the first thing that goes away from God. It's also the first thing that returns to him. And so above all else, we've got to guard our hearts and we've got to write his truth upon our hearts. And here's the, you know, here's the little differentiating um, nugget, so to speak, if you will. We can't write these truths on our heart in pencil and then begin to erase versions of them based on our surroundings. You understand what I'm saying? We've got to etch these in stone. We've got to inscribe them on our hearts. We can't write the lies of the devil with a permanent marker and the promises of God with a pencil. These have to be permanent truths, unwavering in every aspect that we write upon our hearts and don't depart from them. So those weren't the verses, uh, but there you go, a little bonus material. The two verses I want to talk about are 10 and 11, or 11 and 12, rather. The gift of divine discipline, which New Testament language is the pruning process, which we all love, right? We all look forward to that. Um, I would key the organ right there. But, you know, it's fascinating. We pray, Lord, give us wisdom and revelation. That's what we all want. We want wisdom and revelation, but how many of you know it's the revelation of the gift of divine discipline that leads to wisdom? You got to read this chapter in its entirety. There's this beautiful divine discipline from a loving father that actually births his godly wisdom in us. We can't reject that. It's a gift given to us from a loving father. Um, I think in large part, present company excluded with what I'm about to say. I think in large part, we become a body of believers who are undisciplined, where our yes is maybe and our no is it depends. It's, it, you know, I struggle with that up until I, you know, I was like early 30s because I would say yes to everything, not wanting to let anyone down. And in return, I would let everyone down because I couldn't fulfill the commitment. I'm telling you, we want to be set apart, a city on a hill, and shine bright. If we just made that tiny little change as believers in Christ and became faithful to our word, the world would begin to see, like, wow, these people are different. Because the world is everything but faithful. They do everything but keep their word. And they got thousands of versions and interpretations of all sorts of stuff. If we would just set ourselves to say, you know what? Our yes is going to be yes, and our no is going to be no. We would begin to shine so bright that people would be drawn to that faithful. Let me just break. Kevin Crawford is one of the most faithful people I know with his word. From the very first time I met him, I'm like, hey, I don't agree with you winning every game we play and your little luck streak and everything. 
and I root against him all the time. But he's a faithful man who keeps his word. And that is a, a gift in the time we live in. And it will draw people to know why, why are you like that? And then hopefully he tells them about Jesus. We've got to be people who uh, are not rejecting yielding to the Lord on a daily basis. Everything our Heavenly Father does is for our good, is to grow more into His image. We've got, to, we've got to understand that the cultivating He does in us, the pruning in us, is not to break us down, it's to build us up into His image. It's is how we actually grow in maturity, from glory to glory. I think we forget sometimes that we're on a journey, right? The Christian life is a journey. There's movement involved in following Christ. I think it's funny sometimes when we, when we get saved, you know, we get a, like a welcome kit, right? Welcome to the kingdom. Here's your Bible and here's your easy bake oven. Just put it on low heat for about 20 or 30 seconds and then boom, out comes a Holy Spirit filled saint. That's not how it works. But we, we think it does, right? Like I'm part of the kingdom now. Ooh, a little, little bit of heat. Just put it on simmer. I'm not going to go through any trials. I'm good. Hallelujah. I've arrived. That's not how it works. There are seasons when you got that heat turned up in your life and there's some cooking happening. You're feeling the heat, but do not lose sight that God is doing something in your life. He's cultivating something in us. He's refining something in us that needs to be refined. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows the people and the destinies that's on our life, and he knows what he needs to do. A little course correction here, a little um, alteration there that will help us fulfill the plan he has for our life, both on an individual level and a, a corporate level as the body of Christ. It's fatherly correction. It's not this um, judgment from a vindictive judge. A Bible says the father corrects the son whom he loves. For my reformed brothers, that also means daughters too, right? I've been reading some stuff lately that somehow there's theology out there that think the Bible's only for men. It's pretty crazy. Pretty sure it says your sons and daughters will prophesy. I'm going on a tangent here, but I believe the women can release the word of the Lord and people can be set free and God can pour his spirit out on all flesh. That's a little side note. All right, I got a couple yes. A couple people like, mm. Sometimes the divine discipline that we receive comes from our own rebellious cries, our own rejection of the Lord and what he's trying to do in our lives. He'll allow us to suffer uh, just like we do as parents. Uh, it's not pleasing you know, I'll, I'll say over and over and over to my, specifically my eight, our eight-year-old right now, who's a blessing. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do, don't do that. But at some point, I can say, don't do that all I want. He's not going to learn until he does it. And the result actually is something he wasn't hoping for. This is how the Lord disciplines us out of his love. This is how he prunes us out of his love. He'll ultimately lead to the refining that makes us whole in him. It comes from his covenant love for us. We really got to understand that. When we voluntarily step out of this covering, one of the greatest dangers we have right now in what we're being told right now is that the word of God is a suggestion. That is, hey, this is the, you can try this. You can dabble over here. This is a nice little 
thing you can partake in, but that it's not the eternal truth not to be departed from. We do that a lot where we say, I, I think I'll take a little bit over here, but not so much that. And we, whether we know it or not, we reject God's sovereign hand in our life, and it can lead to um, painful challenges that are not fun to bear. The divine discipline that Israel got came in the form of King Saul. He said, hey, you guys don't want me to be your king anymore? You don't want me to fight for you anymore? All right, take this guy. And that didn't work out very well for him. God knows, West, what's, uh, God knows what is best for our lives. And when our challenges arise and our trials arise, we've got good news in the gospel that says he is for us. Romans 8, 28, for we know all things work together for the good of those who love God. The Bible says, for we know all things work together. I mean, we should know. Sometimes I don't think that we do know fully because if we did know, then we wouldn't complain all the time. Because the Bible says, hey, all things are working together for the good of those who love God. Now, I hear people recite this a lot and they have no relationship with God. They don't love God. They don't want anything to do with God. And I hate to break the news to them, but it didn't say, for we know all things work together for the good of those people. It says, for those who love God, who have fixed their hearts on him. We've got to understand that no matter what we're going through in the seasons of trials and challenges, do we believe that all things work together for good? Because if we do, keep your hand to the plow. Keep staying faithful. Keep believing that he is for you, and he is going to work it out in the end. We can't see where he sees but he's doing a work in us that is for our good. John 15 is one of the greatest, I, I say this all the time, for a new believer, I'd say read John 15. It'll give you a nice little blueprint of how you should live your life. Stay tethered to the king. John 15, Jesus is the true vine and he prunes all the branches that don't produce fruit. What's interesting is if you actually do a word study on this, he, he, he cuts off the branches that don't produce fruit but then it goes on to say, hey, those branches that are producing fruit, he further prunes those and cleanses those. And so sometimes we think, I'm doing all the right things. I'm reading the word. I'm going to Tuesday night prayer. I'm doing all this stuff. Why do I feel like I'm still being pruned so you can bear richer fruit? It doesn't just prune the stuff that's unproductive. Even when we're producing fruit, he is constantly trying to cleanse us, refine us, and prune us so we can produce even richer fruit for his kingdom. We can't reject this because he's doing a work in us. And a lot of times we can't even see the beauty of what he's doing. It may seem so small and insignificant. We have to trust that he knows what he's doing. Listen, I wouldn't be standing here tonight, uh, the person I am. Like, it just didn't happen overnight. My mom's and kids, or she'd be the one in here testifying. We'd get a lot of amens. Because I always loved Jesus, from, even from when I was little, as far as I can remember, a memory, I loved Jesus. I just wasn't sure that I wanted to tell the world that I did. And so if you'd asked me when I was 17 or 18 that I would be preaching the gospel one day, my coach, my teachers, everyone would be like, yeah, right. Your own gospel, probably. It just didn't happen overnight, but it was day by day and step by step. The Father was cultivating something in me through his mercy and patience and removing stuff that needed to be removed and pruning 
me so that I could understand um, it's, it's just not about me. And I had to die to myself multiple times in a lot of painful seasons that I fully believe I could have avoided. But in my, I know more than the king, he lovingly let me walk through them. But praise God, he works all things out for the good, for those who love God. So it doesn't matter where you're at right now. You got to understand that he is doing a work. Um, Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus looks at Peter and says, hey, Peter, Satan has asked, Satan has desired that he may sift you. That word sift means to literally remove the good from you, to shake you until you fail, to shake you until you fall. And Jesus tells Peter, listen, he's asking to do that. He goes on to say, but I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not falter, and that when you return back to me, that you will go and strengthen your brothers. He doesn't say that challengers are not going to come. He doesn't say that that sifting won't take place. He just said, I'm standing there contending for your faith to not fail during it. Jesus looked beyond the temporal. He looked into his kingdom timeline, if you will, and he saw. He didn't look ahead and see Peter around the charcoal fire denying him. He looked ahead and saw 3,000 people added to the church in one single day on the day of Pentecost. He is doing a work in us, and we're here, and we think, oh my goodness, I can't take this anymore, and he sees us over here. We've got to trust that he is doing a, an eternal thing in us that is for our good. We've really got to understand this as a church right now, because I had to repent driving in the car yesterday, because the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. In the last three years, I've been saying, why? Why? Why, Lord? I don't understand why is all this stuff happening? And he said, you're asking the wrong question. It's not why, but what? What am I showing you? What am I doing in my bride? What do you need to be learning from this process? And it shifted my thinking. And God is constantly doing a work in us. If we'll embrace it with the truth, knowing that he, he's a loving father, it will, it will birth this wisdom in our lives. He knows what we need to run our race well. Like I said, the Christian life is not uh, a, a docile, idle uh, way of living. It's a marathon, right? You got to understand marathon runners don't ever quit or the good ones don't. They slow down. They may pause. They may take a break. They get uh, off the track a little bit at the hydration station and get a little replenishment, and then they keep going. It's the same way with us. We keep going day by day. And when we begin to tire, just get some of that living water, let it replenish you, let it refresh you, and then keep running your race that was set before you, knowing that he is working a good thing out in your life. I got it. That's right. All right. People say that, uh, I just don't, I just waiting on the Lord to give me a sign, I'm waiting on the Lord to drop something in my life, and then I'll commit I don't know what to commit to, right? This goes back to our challenges. Our yes is a maybe and our no is it depends based on the options that are available to us. And people don't want to commit anywhere. I got a place you can start. Commit your ways to the Lord and trust in him and he will do it. If we just start it there, there's a, a waking up that needs to happen and a get going for the kingdom day by day. His word is a lamp unto our feet. 
and a light into our path. It will literally illuminate our path. His word protects us on the pathway. And if you really read this, what God is saying is, I'm going to send my light to my people who were headed somewhere, who are on a path somewhere, who are in motion somewhere, and I will guide their steps. Sometimes it's literally just day by day, but all I need is enough light to see, hey, if there's a cliff over here, God's going to illuminate it, and if I put my foot out over here, I'm not going to go over the side. His word is a light, a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, and we must hold fast to his word daily so that we can walk in the wisdom that is needed to discern the things and the times that we're in. We got to find a plow and put your hand to it. If you don't know where, just find some place that's cultivating truth and, and plow that field. But do something. Do something. Put your hand to the plow and begin to cultivate something in your life. And as you do, he will provide enough light each day for you to see where you're going, for you to understand what it is that he's calling you to. One of the most neglected disciplines in the body of Christ that we have, I fully believe, is the reading of God's word, the desiring of his word. If we were a people universally across the body of Christ that used this every day before Instagram, that used this every day before anything that we check on our phone, and this literally became our life source, we would see so many of the things that are happening flee and stop and crumble and bow their knee because we are strengthening ourselves in the Lord and equipping ourselves with his word. And we are gaining godly wisdom to discern the things that are trying to pull us off the narrow road into the wide road. The divine discipline from a loving father is literally what's used to shape a fortified maturity in us. And this is what's needed, mature sons and daughters that can reflect his image in its entirety on the earth. The opposite of wisdom is obviously stupidity, which I could just close my eyes and point to 10,000 things right now that we would all know are absolutely stupid and insane and foolishness. It's foolishness that's just running wild in the earth right now. They, the Bible says, in thinking they were wise, they became fools. And this is the way of the world right now. And we're called to be set apart, to walk in godly wisdom, to not depart from his word, to hold fast to it day and night so that we can lead the world to the truth. Because right now, um, wide is the road to destruction and everybody's invi been invited on that path. And God needs wisdom to return to the bride of Christ right now so that we can point people back to him. Um, I guess I'm, I'm gonna close out with this. The worship team's gonna come back up, right? I think that's what we're doing. We're real formal here. We yield to the Holy Spirit, and I believe that what we need now more than ever is this precious gift of wisdom to take root in our heart, and it can only be obtained, can only be found in God's Word. Like, there's nowhere else to find the wisdom that you need in your life to know what God's calling you to do and how to lead your family and how to raise your kids other than God's Word. Like, nothing else is sustainable. You can get self-help books and all that stuff. But the godly wisdom that will lead you on the path of a fruitful life can only be found in God's word. We have to devour his word every day because, listen, if we're not, you are being conditioned by every other narrative 
that is fundamentally opposed to the things of God. Nonstop. It's definitely on every media channel. It's in every movie now. Sadly, it's been in those movies for a while. But everything that is being released through the airwaves, if you're not conditioning yourself with the word of God, it is programming you to oppose the things of God, to accept those as somehow that's the way to walk in this side of heaven. And we've got to guard our hearts with the word of God. You can't walk in wisdom if the world is lighting your path. You can't. It has to be God's word that lights your path. Acknowledge him in all our ways and he will direct our paths. One of the most frequently asked questions from people is, how, how do I get the wisdom to know what God's calling me to do? I just, I just need the wisdom to hear. Oh Lord, what are you calling me to do? Well, Solomon tells us, decide to put your trust in the Lord. Don't trust in yourself. Decide to acknowledge and honor God. Wrap his truths around your neck and etch them in your heart and do not depart from them. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your steps. He will guide you on the path that he wants us to be guided on. This is not only on an individual level, but corporately as the church. We need to turn our hearts back to the Lord with a fresh desire to consume his word so that we know where he's calling us. It's not fun when you jump out of the boat because you're on fire and you see Jesus and then you get out there in the middle and then you take your eyes off him for a little bit and you start to sink. You know, that little delicate dance of being unsure is not a fun place to do if you're not tethered to the rock, if you don't fix your eyes on him. We've got to get back to doing that. We've got to embrace the seasons of pruning in our lives, knowing that a loving father is the one doing it. And he works all things out for good to those who love him. Never depart from the truth of God's word. We need this wisdom now more than ever so that we can see him more clearly and hear him more clearly. And as we do that, we can lead those who are lost back to the truth. But we cannot do it if we don't understand what he's doing, if we don't understand what he's saying. The only way we're going to find these truths is devouring God's word. And I just, you know, I thought we would pray as we worship here for a minute and Tara might read something but just that the Lord would awaken something deeper in our heart to desire his word it's the hardest thing I'm just keeping it real it's the hardest thing for me to do it's the hardest thing for us to do the devil will oppose you 8,000 different ways to keep you from reading God's word because that's where we go to get power that's where we go to get truth that's where we go to get the strength to our bones health to our body and so everything, I mean, you can, you can be in a house completely quiet, no one home, no kids screaming, the Bible's sitting there, you're getting ready to read it, and boom, your work will call. Or the fire alarm will go off. Or a cardinal will just run into your window, bam, 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 like my house. We've got to guard our hearts above all else and give God's word the priority in our life. If we want the wisdom to know what he's doing and what he's called us to do, We've got to get back into his word. I just challenge all of us, just commit the next 30 days. Hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a couple verses every morning when I wake up. Begin to cultivate that habit in your life is the first thing that's put into your eyes and your heart and your spirit. And you will begin to see transformation in the